watch podcasts. Something old people do. These are the musings of the podcast Reengage. Its continuing mission to revisit the late 80s and 90s, to seek out why Kate loves Wesley Crusher so much, and on episode 5, to boldly review where no one has gone before. This is Reengage. I'm Jimmy G. I'm joined by some of my friends, Greg Tito and Kate Yeager, and Hi. some guy we picked up on the side of the road, Eric Gratton. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing well. It's so good to see all of you, especially my good, good friend, Jimmy. Uh, not to take away from how great it is to see Greg and Kate as well. How are you all doing? Doing pretty good. Excited to go where no person has gone before. It's Wesley Crusher Day, and I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> We're here for you, Kate. That it is. Where no one's gone before is the uh, first of a few heavy doses of Wesley Crusher. But before we get into that, let's drop the stats. So we're looking at episode five, unless you count uh, the two-parter. It's episode six, production episode 40271 dash 106 uh this is still on the heels of black monday which we dove into just a little bit last week on the last outpost uh the number one song as kate had mentioned that week still this week was mj's bad but we also had uh fatal attraction the number one movie in america and our number one tv show the cosby show Look at that, much different these days than we did then. So popular that it even influenced Wesley Crusher's stylings, especially his uh, sweaters in many of the episodes. Uh, it is sweater heavy this first season. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Y'all, I finally watched Fatal Attraction after we talked about it. And we talked about not having seen it, most of us. I finally watched it. Um, nice. It's you, there's a lot of sex in that movie. There's some, there there's some bare titty. There's a what? lot of elevator loving. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he kills her because she's inconvenient. It's really interesting. I'll- Michael Douglas had a slew there of uh, of morally questionable soft core characters <laughs> from from the late seventies to the early nineties, and then he did Ant Man. Uh, it certainly influenced the way he was viewed in public life as well. It's a really freaking weird career to look back on with any like distance. The quote that I and I don't think it's it's it from Fatal Attraction. It might be where he 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 says that he doesn't look in the toilet after he goes to the bathroom. Right. That is that is not I do believe from Fatal Attraction. Okay, it's from another Michael <laughs> Douglas movie from this era. But for some reason as a child, that's the line that I remember because I was like, why wouldn't you look at your poop after you go? That's the main, that's the best part of going poop. I can't think of the movie you should be watching from Michael Douglas at this point when you were a child. <laughs> like, none of them. <laughs> like, I hope it was disclosure. Like, I don't know. That's just brilliant. All right, so uh, our big writer on this one was Diane Duane, uh, accompanied by Michael Reeves. Now, Diane uh, was actually a writer from the original Star Trek series, T-O-S, oh. um, and she had several books 
Uh, and one of them was The Wounded Sky, which used the characters from TOS Universe and was the inspiration for this episode. Uh, she turned it in. She worked with uh, Michael Reeves on it. However, uh, little of what she uh, originally wrote in that novel made it to the actual uh, episode. And she has a great blog called Out of Ambit, uh, which I would recommend reading. And she recounts this, and not it with bitterly. She really didn't care. It was uh, uh, She made a, a good chunk of change, regardless of how much of her words actually made it into that episode uh, and she still looks back at it and kind of fondly and especially the time she got to spend with uh, Michael writing the episode uh, but little of it resembles what uh, her book The Wounded Sky Eric you had something so this is the this is the episodization of the novelization yes. of the characters from the original yes. series using next generation perfect I love right. it I'm in even further than I was right and she got money right. from us rewatching this episode, so more to you. Yeah, but it's Netflix, and they'll never release how many people watched it, so who knows how much money mm -hmm. she got. Hi, Netflix. Thanks. Sponsor Thanks, Netflix. us. Yeah, and it was directed by Bob Bowman, who uh, this was his very first uh, directorial show for Star Trek. He went on to do 13 other episodes. Uh, also, he directed the movie Reign of Fire. I love uh, Reign of Fire. He was, oh, wow. Holy moly. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey so, is the Dragon Slayer yeah. army yeah, yeah. guy. Uh, is, it, is it Bale with it? Yeah, Christian Bale yes. was, the, uh, Christian was the, Bale. British, yeah. the British guy. Christian Bale. All right. Uh, and All right. he directed some episodes of the A-Team. Oh. oh, hell yeah. He directed the X-Files movie. <gasps> yes, fuck yeah. Oh, yes. that guy. Uh, and several episodes of Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Oh, I love that shit. That brings me back. I love that shit. So <laughs> I think a pretty impressive list of things. It's a uh, random but, random quote, but I, I have uh, met Kubiak from Parker Lewis Can't, New, Can't Lose. Abe, he's, I've met Abe, Abe. He's great. He's a fantastic person. Looks kind of like the lovable, huggable guy that he was in that show still. Right. Was he in... Uh, the butterfly effect is that the same actor no that's ethan okay. no ethan umbry i believe ethan embry no are you thinking okay there's an ethan embry and ethan, ethan embry, embry is from can't hardly fun. wait right the lead the lead in can't Correct. hardly wait I'm lady umbridge lady umbridge <laughs> uh, i'm thinking of the character from mall rats the, the mall tilda. rats who can't uh focus on the magic eye uh, that actor is the guy who was in Butterfly Effect. We're so good at our job. We're not looking up. We're not looking up things. Hey, it's We're an not. Ethan. It's an We're Ethan. not. We are Luddites, and uh, these are bar arguments. These are bar arguments, <laughs> and we're having them the old-fashioned way. Man, but this episode All right, so is so the episode here, like we said, is big Wesley Crusher episode, but we're introduced uh, to a recurring character, uh, the Traveler, um, and this is Mr. Uh, not Stanley Kimmel. He was Kowinski, but um, Eric Menyuk. Uh, so why don't we go over a little bit of what he did before we start jumping into uh, the episode itself. Eric, I know you have a memory for what actors have done. What first comes to you when we think of, when you think of Eric Menyuk? Nothing. I did not look him up. I think he's great in this. And he didn't he pull is familiar it? to right. me, but you you can I didn't pull him up. Tell me what you got. Well, I only went through what he did on 
Star Trek, and we have them in three episodes uh, uh-huh. of playing the Traveler. But one of his biggest things, and it's funny because we have two actors who actually did this. He was a recurring role on Melrose Place. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, he was. So uh, that, that was one of his big money makers right there. Uh, kept him going for a while. He's got a lot of sort of one hits as you go down, which is amazing because he was up for Data. Um, one of oh. the, the front runners for it, he lost out, but they brought him back. Um to for this recurring role and you can kind of see i think in the way he approaches the travel like you can see it's data adjacent almost like there's i I could see his choices and how it would have translated pretty well to the character of data yeah a hundred percent i think he has that that kind of uh, micro expression method of uh storytelling using his face in a way that does not look performative it looks just like the way his face moves, and you have no doubt what's going through his mind. I think he'd be a great data. Right. He's got that Bill Irwin kind of uh, elasticity to what he does. Ethan yeah, so Suple got... was the name of the guy. I just came to me. Sorry. The Suple? Ethan <laughs> Suple. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and then our other um, uh, character actor, our extra, is uh, Stanley Camel, who plays Kowinski, the know-it-all arrogant ass uh, but he was also a recurring character on Monk for yeah, several seasons. Yeah, he's the shrink. I yeah. love yeah. that guy. Yeah. Dr. Charles Kroger. Absolutely. He always gives me a very Ray Wise vibe. Yes. But, uh, you know, slightly more prim. Just fantastic. Love, 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 And love. he's so good as this asshole. Like, I want to pop him real hard. Yeah. Uh, which means he's doing an excellent job because I want to smack him upside his head. No, he's perfect. So I, I want to... Let's rate this right away and then see if it changes at all. Let's do, uh, uh, since it's Star Trek, let's do it by warp. Warp factor. So warp one is bad. Warp 10 is great. Uh, I'll start. I don't think there's been any episode from the four that we've reviewed so far that was more than maybe a warp six. I'm going to put this one at about a, a warp eight or nine. It was the first one. Um, out of this rewatch where I really got pulled in. and was like, oh, yeah, I remember this is why I liked Star Trek. Um, there was, it, it seemed uh, uh, spacey, like they were actually out there in the cosmos uh, coming into something new and um, going really where no one had gone before in a brand new way, not a we're we're being different, but we're not going to forget where we came from. We're going to nod to TOS as much as we can. This one, other than the episode is no, where no one has gone before, seems like it, they're really stepping out and doing something different. Um, so it was. it's my first favorite episode. Uh, the, the four before this, I'm sort of putting to the side, like, all right, they were... They were exercising. They were getting to know what's going on, and I, I didn't quite enjoy them. And this is my first favorite one. Uh, Greg, what do you think? What what would what warp factor would you give this? I would give this a solid nine. I think because mm-hmm. it definitely has all the tenets of what makes Star Trek science fiction great. Right? You've got this this great group problem where everyone's like, we're in somewhere uh, that we've never been before. No one has ever been before, and 
Uh, I mean, it's, it's the title of the dang episode. Uh, but but it, you really do feel that as a viewer where you're like, oh, man, like, wh- what what is happening and how are they going to get back? And it's almost it doesn't feel contrived uh, or anything about how they resolve it. It's resolved in a way that feels very satisfying. And it is not about Star Trek, the next generation trying to assert itself. It's about Star Trek just telling great science fiction stories. And yeah, for that reason, I think it's I think it's a nine. Miss Yeager. Well, I give it 10 out of 10 Wesleys for sure (laughs) on the Wesley scale. Uh, But yeah, I'm going to give it like a solid 8.5 or or 9 on the warp scale uh, for many of the reasons that Greg just said. It's just a very solid story uh, with intriguing plot twists and turns. And there's uh, moments where you're a little concerned for what the future is going to bring to you. And there's this classic sort of um, trying to save our ship Plus all of the beautiful, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, where they start seeing things. What do you call it? Visions. <laughs> thoughts yes, plus, come to life. Plus all the hallucinations come to life. You know, you, you get a, a really lovely um, science fiction twist on that. You know, Worf with his lovely pet, which is, as far as I can tell, a unicorn pig in a fursuit, um, which is just uh, gorgeous. It's, it's so cute. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a really solid episode. And I had forgotten that they establish this idea of the Traveler so early. I'm excited to talk about that. It's it's really goes back to me to what we were talking about with um, Encounter at Farpoint, where there's so much of these characters that is set up in that first episode. And this is yet another one of those episodes where they set themselves up for the future. You know, I don't know if they knew where they were going, but they certainly set the path very early on for the traveler and how important it was going to be in the future. So, wow. Yeah, uh, Eric, uh, what warp factor are you going to give this episode? Well, I mean, it's tough because isn't warp nine is that's as fast as standard warp goes, and then going pushing past that, you're you're playing with the fabric not only of your ship but of time and space itself. You right? start the temporal so wars. Clearly, this is like a warp thirteen. <laughs> like it's a it's it it doesn't really matter that I'm playing with all of these uh, science rules. So I can go, I'm going to go ahead and say thirteen. I love it. I think that this. Like you say, is the first time that I looked at it as a kid. Uh, you know, I'm 11 or <clears throat> whatever at this point. I think, yeah, 11. I'm already in love with Tron, which was not long before this. And before that, like, I'm sure at this point my brother had shown me stuff like Escape from New York. So in that in that short time period, you've gone from actual, like, glow-in-the-dark tape covering cardboard uh, cutouts and three-dimensional models of New York City and then putting a camera through them to do 3D animation to, you know, Tron doing digital animation in a, in a way that I hadn't seen before, you know, to then a couple years later, on TV, you see, like, this modeling thing that the Traveler goes through mm-hmm. with Wesley where they, you know, as far as it looks to me in real time, they're they're doing this computer uh, modeling of a uh, system in motion, and it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, uh, and then from there, you 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 turn in so many different ways than than you're used to with this kind of television, especially if you're 11 and you haven't seen things like The Twilight Zone and you haven't seen 
uh, other genre stuff like this, it ended up, I think, introducing a lot of us to to some of the tropes that became really, really familiar with us as we became fans of all of For this. me, it was that moment when Wesley says to the Traveler, oh, right, so you mean like the ideas of space and time and thought are not the separate things that we think they are? And the way he just kind of throws that out as being like, oh, wait, that's pretty profound to think about. And it's, it's, it, I still, in watch, rewatching this episode, I'm still like, is that true? Is space and time and thought connected? (laughs) This episode is a bit of a mind fuck. And it it goes and it, you know, and it it helps that it's got these sort of trippy effects, you know, when they're going through the the warp drive and you get that kind of (laughs) psychedelic, you know, kind of bad acid trip or good acid trip, really, Um, (laughs) you know. M- modulation going on. Um, it's a great. I, I I'm right. I'm a fan. I love this episode. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think. I think to sort of uh, marry the two points from Kate and Eric. Uh, I really agree that the um, the special effects, which if you grew up um, like I did, a young kid in the '70s coming into adolescence and then to a full-on teenager in the '80s, TV did not look this way. Mm-mm. It didn't. The, the the effects were not there. Um, and uh, uh, this episode in particular, where they're talking about these heady things, I don't think it works with TOS days because you would have seen the actors moving back and forth as the ship rattled and nothing more. And there would have been that that's sort of the same thing you saw in space was a, a black background with white dots. That was space. And now we were seeing like, something unique and beyond extraordinary it was this this revelation of nebulae and uh it it made those big heady ideas i think a little more realistic for me because it was in the backdrop of well if that's possible what wouldn't be possible um what were you going to say eric well i was saying uh, you know Along those times growing up, even something that looks cheesy now, like when the traveler is phasing into the computer, right. you know, back then that was something I'd never mm. seen. You know, that was that was a brand new, interesting effect that reminded you of X-Men, you know, like what an interesting thing to see live on my television right in front of me. So yeah. cool. And it was different than the beaming or, or any of the other kind of transporter effects you might have seen. It was this, are they, it was almost... Um, Back to the Future, which had been around at this time, but like that idea that like, oh, their existence is fading um, because of the paradoxes. Yeah. And I was like, that that's what it brought to mind to me as, as, a, as a nine-year-old. Is he really in this? Is the tra- And even the fact that, you know, and it's, it's, it's underlined by uh, Crusher doing a scan and being like, I'm not getting any life signs. It's almost as if he's not actually here. Or, and then, and then uh, yeah, uh, Troy says that as well. Like he can't, they can't actually feel the traveler's existence. Troy calls him an empty space. Yeah. Which is that- I was like, I've, I've had some boyfriends like that. So I felt <laughs> <laughs> also the ones with three fingers. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird. Well, and what about Argyle? Since we've gone into the gibberish, this is our introduction to the latest chief engineer. And we should, I should point out they they are aware of it because he does one, or I can mm. introduce him as one of our chief engineers. So they were aware, like, <laughs> we keep uh, waffling on who we're going to give this role to. <laughs> so we got this new guy. 
Um, and I don't Scottish? think he's that good. Is he Scottish? I don't think he's, he's that good. Argyle? Mr. Argyle. Like, I mean, he says he says I. <laughs> like they're they're nodding to it at least, but. You know, yeah, this is the newest drummer for Spinal Tap. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see what happens. Uh, but he yeah. is the voice of reason. Like, he is definitely always, like, the guy who's like, is that bullshit? And he's like, yeah, it is. You know, like, so he, he served a purpose like in, in the dialogue for sure. Yeah, I had completely forgotten that he existed. <laughs> and then this would happen. I'm like, oh, we don't. I mean, he doesn't last long. We all know that. He he tries to play the voice of reason in the what what I termed the whip out your dick boys fight between uh, you know uh, Riker and uh, Kaczynski. And Kaczynski, right? Uh, which is just it, it's this great moment of you know I have permission to be here. Well, you don't have my permission to be here. Oh, it's just so good. Like it's just you know laying down the law of this is our ship. Uh, and there's some pride in that too, like oh, and it and it keeps going, right? And he says, "Well, I didn't know I needed that." And he gives this well, big smile. He says, "Well, well now, now you know." know. Yes, it's so yes. good. It's so good. Like, oh. Which is great. I think he need. I think Jonathan Frakes needed the actor. Another one being just so over the top asshole to realize, oh, I, I don't have to raise my voice and and be bitchy to be authoritative. Because remember in the last episode, he's like, "I get it. I understand." When somebody's right. like they're on a transporter, <laughs> and now when somebody's really being abrasive, he's playing the opposite, and he's got uh, a little bit more of a. Well, now you know. Yeah. Now you know you're not in right. charge. I love that okay. killing with kindness that that <laughs> yeah. uh, Riker is doing through, um, pretty much throughout this entire episode. He is just trying to be like, I'm going to do the letter of the law that is necessary for me by Federation standards, but fuck this guy, and he's not you know screwing over my ship. Right, and it's everybody. Like right away, we're told immediately. They tell us you're not going to like this guy. There's something not right about him. He's obviously not what he's portraying himself to be. Like there's no subtlety, or they let you know immediately. There's going to be a plot change here. We're going to get to it pretty quick. Yeah, it may be the guy in the pajamas behind us. (laughs) (laughs) But like the last episode, it's like the first half of it is completely that setup. And then the la- the second half of it is com- is a completely different setup. It's almost like smashing two episodes together. Uh, but I love that turn. I love that turn in the middle that Kaczynski has, where he's like, uh, "Oh, I thought it was me," right. you know. And he's he's almost <laughs> not arrogant throughout the the rest of the episode. Like you, he really does get this comeuppance, you know, half hour through this this episode that you're like, you know, I'm not, I don't necessarily feel bad for him, but I'm always like, oh, yeah. the dude the dude was shown that he was BS. And he's just happy to be along for the ride. No, he wasn't well, happy. That's interesting anymore. because that's that's what makes it fiction, right? People because no one's actually act like that. shown to be that wrong. <laughs> just double down on that well, shit. Right, you're too true uh, on that. But also that, like, he thought because he admits he didn't understand the math that he was doing. So, like, he literally thought that he was just at a computer terminal going beep boop beep boop beep yes. boop beep like a monkey would and was coming up with the best math anyone had ever Man. seen and i just think that's the best yes. because it means a bunch of bureaucrats fell for that all the way up the ladder until it got to like commander right that is that <laughs> is he was not the happy. privilege of failing no up. 
It's because he ran into a boy wonder, Wesley. So, I was going to say, um, it's actually <laughs> technically because he ran into Wesley Crusher, um, which I love. But that was later. I love Riker's turn on in yeah. this episode because there's, uh, I wrote down at one point, nobody listens to Wesley in all caps because, you know, he's trying to tell the truth. He's trying to say what's happening. No one's listening to him. And uh, Riker full on, and this is the second time that he does this, because he does this uh, in an earlier episode where he gives Wesley uh, Wesley, uh, credit where credit is due. And so when Picard comes down and says, I can't believe nobody saw this coming. Well, there you go. Wesley saw it coming. He tried to tell me and I didn't listen to him, which is a baller move on Riker's part. It's a yeah. strong, strong person who can admit that they were wrong. And it's unasked for. That's what I like about it the best. Like, it wasn't like he was being pressed, being like, you know, oh, Riker, why didn't you have anything to do with this? Uh, you know, and he didn't, like, shift blame. He was literally, like, being like, well, no one could have ever seen this. And he's like, well, actually, Wesley did see it ahead of time. I think that's why... I connected with Wesley so hard, besides the fact that I wanted to kiss his face. Um, also, <laughs> what what kid hasn't had that experience, mm. right? Of I'm saying something that's important and no one is listening to me. Like I have a thing to say and it's being ignored. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I feel like we've, we've all had that experience of feeling helpless and wanting somebody to, sure. and in this instance, uh, he gets the credit where credit is due and saves the day as we go. You know, it's, it's just nice validation. I think Taylor Swift said it best when she said in this most recent album, Folklore, when you're young, they assume you know nothing. Yes. And I have heard my nine-year-old sing those lyrics. And oh. I'm like, are you, talking, oh. are you talking about me? <laughs> she gave them a weapon. Good work, Taylor. Well, I'll jump in on why I hate Wesley then. Oh, my God. <laughs> Get out of here. And, and I think this is a little bit, I want to play off of what, what Greg said. You know, like Riker um, didn't have to acknowledge that uh, Wesley did. It was like he did because he was written that way. It wasn't uh, this magnanimous position. It was, hey, we need to set up Boy Wonder. So you're going to acknowledge that he did do this thing so that that that's one more point in our we're building up this more than human little boy and it what i didn't like about it um i don't remember if i didn't like it then i'm not going to take that position what i don't like about it now is i don't like the uh you're the one characters he's neo what are you gonna do yeah about i don't it? like that i don't like it when there's yeah, the person he's, where he's complete you're neo. destined to mm-hmm. be this he's polytrated um, i like to see the hard work rather than a writer telling me oh he's really smart he's the mozart i don't need to show you that he is i'm just going to tell you that he's the Mozart. So when he says the thing about, oh, you mean that space is not this or that? It's like, it was too easy. And maybe if he was an idiot savant, I would buy it, but they're making him a, in on it. And uh, I just don't, uh, I, I, did, I never fell for the everyman guy. He didn't remind me of me at all. He reminded me of somebody that I had never met before. Well, then I would I not have wanted to kiss shows. your face. <laughs> no. Well, not at all. <laughs> I, I don't want to be Wesley in this situation, but I was uh, in the gifted program when I was a kid. Yeah, you were. Yeah. Uh, and it very quickly got budgeted out, and I never was never you know in that again. But there is that idea of being too, smarter than your teachers and not 
wanting to uh, it, the uncomfortability of that, and that's what he, that's what I feel uh, I associated with Wesley the most. Was I, not only that I was that smart, I really wasn't, but I, I could do stuff a little bit more than the people around me. That was really all of it. But um, there is that idea that like, oh, there you know, not everybody who's older than you is automatically better or smarter. Uh, but that's that's all you're told when you're young is that I know better than you because I've got 10 years on you, right? And it's and we've all had that in the entertainment business where people have been like, well, how long have you been doing this? Oh, you've only been doing this for 12 years? Well, I've been doing it for 45. And you're like, but you're not successful. So why is that good? And it was this longevity meant more than uh, your actually ability, ability. And what was fascinating about this episode because it was the traveler being like, I recognize talent it doesn't matter how old you are or where you came from or even how they met he didn't the traveler didn't expect to meet wesley during this situation um and so i identify with that as a kid because i was like oh maybe maybe there is something that that i can do and i can i can do it for i will agree with you though that the writing other than that 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 line that you mentioned i I do like the space time and thought line the lines that i don't like is like what if you just connect this thing with this thing and isn't that genius that yeah. part, I'm like, ah, it feels like you're just being like Kaczynski and just making up. Except psycho- for he's right. Well, right, but it right. is just psycho babble, uh, <laughs> uh, Star Trek nonsense that I wish I, I wish I got I, it I a little bit more. I think as much as anything else, yeah. I mean, I think as much as anything else, it's just a time saver, right? It's you know the writers are are doing a a real time montage where instead of the years it would take to explain both to Wesley and us he just intuitively gets it and then we don't have to do two episodes we can do you know one scene and call it good and it, you know <clears throat> i struggle with that when it's so blatant like this you know like it's usually fine but at this point, it has stretched it to the point where I'm just like, just let Wesley be in charge of everything. Right. Like at this point, haven't you guys figured out right. this guy should be in charge of everything? He's never wrong. And he only has to learn the first step. And then the next seven steps will just fall into place I'm for so him. glad you're uh, on my train of thought now, Eric. <laughs> They should have just given I, it. I'm sincerely, like, if this is who the character is, I'd watch that Doogie Hauser in space. Like, I'm Right. Right. <laughs> right. Let him cut people open. He can do everything. I think I have to agree with Greg in terms of my favorite author growing up was Roald Dahl. Mm. Because Roald Dahl was an author that said, hey, guess what? Sometimes adults are stupid and they will treat you poorly and they will lie to you. And sometimes you know the best in the world uh, mm-hmm. or, or you know what's best for you. And that I found that really, you know, empowering as a kid, you know, to be treated with a sort of bit of uh, given the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's why Wesley still resonates, um, I, I think, probably for younger viewers, because it is that sort of I know more than you're allowing me to know. Well, I it, agree. I agree that they go really far on that, very heavy-handed on the "he's so special," ah. right? But it's really just that one scene uh, with the traveler in sick bay that you're objectioning to. That one where he, where they compare him to Mozart, right? Uh, no, it's my in, the entire implementation of the character from the very first time we meet him until he leaves. <laughs> it's it's. Not this isn't the first time we've had Wesley Crusher smarter than everybody in the encounter at Farpoint. 
he he goes up to the screw and says, oh, why don't you just do this? And he taps it, and yeah. the chief engineer behind him, who couldn't understand it, is like, oh, yeah. And, you know, it's a bit of arrogance. So why don't you just do this? And it, to me, it's the, that's an easy way of showing brilliance. When you don't really do anything other than nonsensical movements and now because nobody can question it because it's it's meaningless a, a fake <laughs> computer thing it's like well that's not brilliance that's just lazy writing that's i wish it make was him grounded. brilliant i agree with you i do wish it was grounded in something that made more cognitive sense but i don't i don't think they this whole episode is about trusting wesley he doesn't only thing that he does is like hey the traveler's phasing like he was just using his eyes. He's not doing anything oh, sure. that I would crazy. Yeah, they don't yeah, give yeah. him control of the ship or anything. You know, they just were basically no, like, "Oh I, yeah, <laughs> Wesley, you saw something that no one else saw. Yeah. Good on you." Like if they're not saying like you're a, a genius and you know now you're no, captain. they are saying he's a genius. Well, yeah, I think the they traveler, literally say the you're a genius. Says, <laughs> the traveler says he's a genius. Right, and then Picard makes him an honorary ensign. That's right, he's an ensign yeah. for no other reason than they needed a reason for him to be on. <laughs> The uh, I think it's very uh, efficient no, storytelling. I disagree. I disagree. Go ahead, Kevin. With what? With with what? I disagree <laughs> that it's that it's just that that was just lazy. They were trying to say like, okay, so so say you got that information that the traveler said that this person and you and you trusted it for whatever reason you trusted that the mm-hmm. traveler was saying this is a special kid. He doesn't have a father figure. What are you going to do to encourage that without saying, oh? by the way, this guy said that you're special, right? Like he doesn't do any of it. He does exactly what the traveler says. He encourages him to grow beyond uh, the capabilities or the box that he was in beforehand. You know, even that, that nice little uh, ending scene that's like, oh, should we, when Riker says like, should we call Dr. Crusher and uh, have her here for this moment so you can see that he, your, your son's an ensign? Right. And he's like, no, why, why would sick? Right, it's such a good line. But even that, I think, was fantastic line. Was Picard listening to the traveler and just being like, "I need to encourage him and give him some independence, give him some some wind under his wings," and he does that by mm-hmm. making him an acting ensign. Seemed like he had done plenty already in four episodes without being an acting ensign. So? He had already taken over the engineering room and well, helped save okay. them from okay. that. <laughs> like he didn't need he to be a drunk. fake ensign to spread his wings. <laughs> It, it does fascinate me as an adult to think about like where where do his powers lie in the chain of command on the Enterprise? Because if he's an actual acting officer class, like there are people that theoretically right. not enlisted. He's in charge yeah. of. Right. And I like, went to fucking Starfleet. I, I want. <laughs> I was there yeah, for five fucking know. years. And this kid, what his not just responsibilities, right. but like where he fits in the actual chain of command. Right. What, how much work is that word acting doing? You know, there's a rumor. It's uh, like, oh, you know, Picard, Hemi Crusher. They're doing it. They're doing it. And that's why his oh, kid God. is on the bridge now. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Of course, you didn't think about that. <laughs> why are you so bad? That's <laughs> Jimmy. <laughs> well, I do like that's why. I mean, that's why we hate Kaczynski so much too, is because he's the one who's like, why is this child here? Right, she was the voice like, of reason. Right. <laughs> Get out of here, Kaczynski. You know, she was on two episodes of TOS. Who was? Kaczynski. As a the kid? guy who played Kaczynski? What? Yeah, the, Wait, what? no, not Flash. Kaczynski, I'm sorry, uh, the, the doctor. Uh, uh, 
You went I to went Palatsky when oh, he said Palatsky. Kaczynski. I went to Palatsky. Oh, but we'll but get to I want to go back to something that Greg had said a little while ago when the traveler wasn't Fucking looking Palatsky. for Wesley. And you're right. He wasn't because Wesley wasn't in the book. <laughs> Gene Rodberry inserted him into that because Wesley is the embodiment of Gene Roddenberry. And he wanted the boy wonder to be special because Gene Roddenberry was special. Are you so saying that the traveler Wesley was never is... supposed to meet any boy and talk about his great wisdom and, you know, build this kid up because he's going to save the world one day. Oh my God. Uh, that explains Roddenberry so much. wanted that. <laughs> That's like Crusher is uh, uh, Gene Roddenberry's self insert fanfic. Yes. Going back to the kind of conceptual uh, part of this episode, I love that this went somewhere that was otherworldly, and you could see like what, where were they? Where they, they finally ended up there? Just there was those weird lights that were flying through, and this cloud-like thing, and the wonder um, that uh, like you know Jordy and Data have of being like, are you getting the same reading that I'm getting? Because we is far out there. Um, that really hammered home that this was new territory and conceptually like how we're going to get home. And it actually, I mean, maybe we'll get to Voyager one day, but it kind of sowed the seeds of like, what if a ship did get trapped somewhere far away and they had to spend their entire uh, uh, series trying to get home. I remember that idea as nine year old kid being like, Oh, that's a cool idea for, for a show. And one of the other writers of Star Trek might've had the same idea from this episode. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're a lot further than eighty eight light years, though, huh? Yeah, right. Did they said hundred million light years away? Yeah, they were like the first one was a couple million light years away, and then we're out three galaxies. They said they stayed well, in it's one. Your, it's your classic, you know, the the difference between uh, some of what Star Trek does that makes it very much like a western, mm. and other things that Star Trek does that make it very much in a seafaring kind of story like this is your classic shipwreck master you know, commander uh, kind of co- yeah and colonizer lost in unfamiliar lands surrounded by yeah. you know uh, others so i mean the star trek itself goes back to this well a lot like that's where they this the same kind of story uh device introduces us to the borg later and introduces us to the entire series of voyager and you know all we'll never find our way back you know, it's very quantum leap. It's it's been around since the Odyssey, right? If not before, so it's a it's a nice familiar story that we can all immediately latch on to. It's a great. That is a good comparison. What would be the the uh, the Star Trek version of putting the toothpicks in your eyes to stay awake so you don't ever fall asleep that uh, Odysseus had to do? What would that be? <laughs> We'll get to that in a later episode. Which I can't fall is asleep. It the one, the one where Rikers, the one where Rikers in the the play loop in the insane asylum. Oh yeah, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> maybe. I wanted to talk about how artistic this ship is, because when everybody's having their hallucinations, a lot of them uh, revolve around a highly uh, skilled artistic uh, endeavors like ballet, mm. uh, yes. violin playing. It's either that or getting chased by scary things. Like those are the two different kinds of hallucinations and dreams right. or thoughts that people have is I'm being chased or I am the shit. Shout out to the violin player, though. That actor sold that so well for me where I was like, he's 
he, I, I, I love the way that it, it's shot because you don't really know what's, what you're seeing and you have that slow dolly where you realize one of the people playing the violin is wearing a Starfleet uniform. Mm-hmm. And it's just this great reveal and then eventually he's like, he snaps out of it and he's just in one of the, you know, random looking conference room uh, type of things. Like in the... He's in the, the cafeteria, cafeteria right? Right? Yeah, it looks like yeah. it's, it's like a room in the Hyatt. Uh, you know, kind of like a freaking <laughs> business center kitchenette <laughs> it's gross yeah. and he's like huh yeah, that's weird and I just I, I love those character moments I, I had forgotten them until you mentioned them because the, the ballerina one is also really poignant for me and then we also get to see but contrast those with the poor co-stars who had to run past uh, was it Riker or the captain and, and pretend that there's something chasing them like oh they went for it those poor kids and like the camera didn't support them by shaking or anything, it wasn't moving, and the music didn't support them, it was completely silent, and all you can hear is their uncertain feet shuffling on the carpet. <laughs> and like these poor kids, then you move to this other guy, and you see his entire fantasy and his entire thing, and you see him, <laughs> it pays off in such a way that those two never got. <laughs> And she didn't even get to talk. It was, yeah, those poor co-stars. Is this the first and only time that we see Picard's family? Mama. His mama? I guess we see I his brother. I think we see a brother yeah. later on. I but mean, we see his, his brother, yeah. Correct? I don't know how French people are. Because mama means, can mean granny or grandma oh, in, okay. in, in French. Uh, like, it's a, it's a colloquial, like, granny. Uh, I think I think it might be his grandma. That's what I thought too. But it was really and interesting. And he says "mad" in this episode. Mad. He does under his breath. Mad. Got away with saying shit. That that means shit. That's poop. Shame, and this is shame. the second time that some kind of a hallucinogen has affected the crew hmm. of the Starship Enterprise. I wonder if they talk about that. They oh, had the. The space drunkness, and now this one, where the hallucinations become real. They're like, we can't think about anything, guys. <laughs> well, we were in the midst of the just say no era. Like, all of this drug shit had to be terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it can't just be like they come into this room and there's four people just, like, hanging out, smiling, you know, playing with a big uh, ball of twine like a cat. Like, it has to be some sort of life-threatening thing. Well, some people have fun. We had the violinist and the ballerina. They were having a good time with it. Oh, that's a good point. I'm interested yeah. that we get we only get one uh, flashback in this episode, and mm. it's Tasha has another, <laughs> you know. And, and there she is, yet again, talking about something terrible, and they've got her in a torn shirt and a wonder bra. Holding right? a kitty like, cat. Holding a, a, yeah, a tiny kitty cat. Um, but definitely setting up something for her right like there's definitely through these first few episodes they're they're going in a direction with tasha where they want us to be focused on her past and how strong she is to have grown out of that but the way they're executing it is just terrible like it's just so poorly done because the way they have her present that information so often undermines Right. What yeah. they're talking about. She looks like makes she came out of a Madonna video with that outfit. The, that 80s leather toward look. It was, uh, they're really doing her a disservice. Those characters. They're not, it was like they wanted her to quit. Dis- dis- you know, it's like, how do we <laughs> get her out of here? Get her out of here. This is I terrible. I also just don't understand the constant reference of these uh, villains in her life 
as the gang rapes. Like we should the rape gangs. The rape gangs. The rape gangs. Yeah. The ra- yeah. rape gangs. Like we should know what that means. Like there's oh there's just colonies that has rape gangs going around. It feels very uh, specific to eliciting sure. That response I mean, of like this. any. Yeah. It, I think it's just it's pretty true that any war torn region has the groups that could be described that way. Like wherever there is uncertainty, there are men behaving that way. So like, I, I I don't think it's a term that doesn't have use. I think it's a term that doesn't have use on the news very often. Do you know what I mean? But, but historically it's a very common uh, occurrence. I mean, there was a lot of talk about it, you know, in, in, Bosnia, there's a lot of talk about it. In, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I don't dispute uh, that it was definitely Egypt. happening. It's just that um, br- that, yeah. like, that was the one term that got passed by censors for whatever reason, and they just used that one term over and over again. Um, right. I feel like... Do you think it was this the, the, the network? Or do you think it was the writers just made sure that that's her, her lexicons for, you know, her, her character's... Uh, it feels artificial enough that it uh, feels like that, right? Like I wish, I wish it yeah, felt more organic yeah, yeah. in the way she was describing it, because no one would say that, say it that way. I don't know, you know. Uh, any any more twenty twenty doesn't have me saying anybody would say anything. <laughs> that's <anymore>. true. <laughs> uh, I guess that's true. Like that, that literally, I, I I find it difficult watching stuff now to to get mad at just about anything. So I'm like, well, fuck it. Who the hell knows that that's not the way it would happen? I, <laughs> like this shit is my weird. favorite. My favorite <laughs> meme of twenty twenty has been. Uh, why don't we just start pronouncing the L in salmon because nothing makes sense anymore. N- nothing matters anymore. So uh, around our house, we have been eating a lot of salmon, salmon lately. And it is very satisfying to ask for salmon. I saw today someone say like, let's talk about Charlemagne, Fair. but uh, with the pronunciation of lasagna. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys do the the thing in in acting school where it was uh, they spelled out G H O T I and pronounced it fish because of the various ways those letters are pronounced in various no. words in English? You know, you take the, you take the G H from laugh, you know, and mm. and go from there. But G H O T I can be pronounced fish based on how those those letters are used in various. Anyway, it doesn't matter. All right, so I, I only had a couple of other things I wanted to talk about, Jimmy. I what what are your thoughts on on the episode as a whole? Like, where does it fall for you now that we've talked about it? More? Oh yeah, so absolutely. I love this episode, and I want to be clear: I don't like the Wesley Crusher character. I have nothing against Will Wheaton. <laughs> that was that I was think, clear ahead of time. I don't I think, think you need to make that clear. <laughs> no, I don't think I made it clear that the it's not the acting of this character that. I don't like it's the writer's development of it. I think what Will did is is great. He did what he had to do. You're he leaned straight. into it and um, he played it as as well as he could. He wasn't. I don't think he he made it. Uh, he made. I don't think he made the character unlikable for me. It was just the way it was presented and written. Like I, there's nobody who would step into that who, who then I would like. Uh, but the episode, regardless of you know, beside my feelings of the the uh will or the the crusher mania is this is my first favorite episode like uh, of that first season it's the first one where i look back i rewatch it and i think yeah this is i'm i can see now how this show kept going forward the 
first four kind of made me wonder, like, holy cow, did I only watch this for the same reason I watched every episode of seven seasons of the 100? Because I love <laughs> sci-fi and I don't care how bad it is. Um, but this one was like, oh, no, this actually is way better than the 100. It actually has some some brilliant acting in it. Um, so I'm I'm on board. I'm on the Enterprise and waiting to see Strange New Worlds. Um, I just had one more moment in it that I wanted to talk a little bit about because I was struck so weirdly by it when it happened. But it's when oh. uh, Riker turns around to see the Traveler phasing into the computer and just kind of goes... Huh? You know, he just t- tilts his head like Scooby Doo and doesn't do anything to this guy who is four, four to eight feet in front of him, half disappearing in front of his eyes while appearing to make love to a computer console. <laughs> it is something that I'm that I'm always talking about. Like I have never yet myself had a gun pointed at me, but I think it would be a singular moment in my life if it happened. And I think turning around and seeing a guy <laughs> disappearing into a computer would be a singular moment in your life, such that if we were to play it real, it would be like, oh my god, what's going on? And they, they, they don't do that, which I respect, but I kind of want more than a head tilt when someone is disappearing. <laughs> to be fair, though, yeah. Eric, he had very recently computer. saw... Uh, a bulbous head, sawtooth hamster shooting a laser whip at him. <laughs> so he had seen some pretty crazy Fair stuff. Fair enough. I withdraw. <laughs> I withdraw everything. Fair enough. Also, in this episode, we haven't brought it up. Uh, is another man in a skirt? That's, That's right. right. The man in the skirt comes back. And it's or, a you full know, on one. pause too. Like we get to see him, and he also has that look. He goes, "Hmm." He's like, "What?" See, this makes me very happy. I I am happy that I didn't notice it when it came out. I'm happier that I'm noticing it now, and I hope it keeps going. very close to a like snap and a Z formation happening as it's yeah. No, he's like, what? I love it. Um, There's there's one moment that I really love, and it's it calls back to uh, what we liked about the last episode, where there was that uh, conference room moment of getting uh, opinions. That same moment happens here in this show. Uh, in this episode, but it happens on the bridge. On the bridge. And it was a really well-composed, cons- c- like, three shots that were reused over and over again. And it was it was, it was was a two-shot of Tarsh- Tasha and Worf, uh, and then it went back to the two bridge, uh, uh, the two console, uh, Data and Jordy behind Riker, and then and one other shot. And I just felt like it was a really well-directed moment because I felt like we got that conference room uh, check in with everybody. Be like, what do you think? Do you think this is what we should do? Should we just say, you know, F you, this guy is gibberish and get him out of here, you know, uh, or should we believe this traveler? And uh, I just really appreciated it and, and I called it out because it felt um, like good TV making in the process. I find it interesting at the end of the episode when the traveler is not doing well. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's out of character because we don't really know the character yet, but the way Picard is so insistent that they keep waking him up, even Mm. though Crusher is very clear that it might kill him. I felt weird Uh, about that. It, it, you know, like the stakes could not have been higher. I get that. Like I get that, that, but it's definitely needs of the many outweigh the needs of the, 
of the few moment where it's like or or the one exactly (laughs) and that's it's a it's a real deep genre in in film and tv history right the wake him up i don't care if it kills him i need this info from him like that's a tried and true uh, scene it in always so works. many military and 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 police and it, horror. It's movies. right there it with. Does, you know, yeah, you it's right there with. I can do it in two hours. You have thirty minutes. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> I can do it in fifteen. I always tell. Yeah. Thanks three. for bringing that up, Kate. <laughs> I, I noted. I noted that too. That's so fascinating. All right. Well, any other last thoughts on this episode? I don't want to cut it off. If you got anything else you want to share, Kate? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Did I talk about Wesley yet? No. (laughs) More Wesley. More Wesley. (laughs) Had you made out with your poster at this point? Uh, Look, you don't want to ruin the high gloss sheen. No, okay. No, that makes sense. So, you know, lots of air kisses. I understand. Was there... I like how Wesley was so excited that he was got promoted. I mean, he really was like that, that exuberant. He kid. was giddy. He was giddy, but also like, Hey, I'm a man and I can, I can, mm. I don't need to tell, I can tell mom later. This is, this is my moment. Well, he's definitely not the boy. Right. We established that. Didn't we? <laughs> I love that they have him sitting on a, therefore, <laughs> like I had never noticed those little like benches. <laughs> they, they like placed a little bench next to, next to Troy. Troy. So he's basically in a sidecar like whizzing along with them. <laughs> so funny. They should have gone back and just CGI'd it into earlier ones as like a, a fold down <laughs> jump seat. Like, with a seat belt. Delta flight. They should have had a seatbelt on it. Yeah. Just to point out. <laughs> well they should all kid. be seatbelted. It's really a shame. This does not. have a shaky cam too. As far as production goes, there was that moment where you're like, and I actually, oh, it's hard to watch what the way they do it when they're at warp speed nine million or whatever they were at. Call back to TOS there. Do, do you it. think the Move TOS the writer put that in the script or be like, shake it just like you used to? Shake it, Cam. Shake it like a <laughs> I was trying yeah, to come up works. with that, Shake but it. thank that you. Works. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, our next episode is going to be Lonely Among Us. Mm. Get to see some dual uh, uh, taking over of bodies and machines. It can go either way. So that's going to be a fun talk. But until then, thanks for being with us on the bridge for this episode of Reengage. Next week, we're continuing on our mission with the next episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Reengage on Instagram and Twitter at ReengageTNG to get updates on episodes, drops, and all kinds of fun Star Trek shenanigans. Follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Insta. Eric is a dummy, and he can be found on at EricFallsDown on Twitter and Insta. Jimmy G reads whatever is put in front of him. You can find him at the Jimmy G on Insta. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito, all one word on Twitter, and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Reengage is edited and mixed by the lovely Krista Curry. Logo artwork is by Mojo Jojo underscore 97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. Our theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for the saucer section to re-engage. <laughs>